child ages three to six, and I forgot to tell you to get out of here. Now's your time. Now go on. Get. All right. Philippians chapter four. We're going to be in verses eight to nine. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, we're going to be on page 982. So if you'd like to follow along. After this, we'll have one more sermon in Philippians. So we've, we've almost made it all the way through this, this wonderful little book of the Bible. So this week, and then after the missions conference, and we'll be through the book of Philippians. I want to begin our thinking this morning with this idea to do something you've got to think about doing it first. That everything we do is because we decided in our minds to do that thing. There is a logical pattern to how we act. There's a thought and there's an action. One of my seminary professors demonstrated this when we were discussing the Ten Commandments. And we got to the last one. Thou shalt not covet. And he said, I want you to think about the commandment of thou shalt not covet in relation to the other commandments. Because coveting is very much a thinking action. And he said, try stealing without coveting what someone else has. Try committing adultery without coveting someone else's wife. Now, he wasn't actually telling us to try those things, but you get the idea that the point he was trying to get is that God is the judge over even our thoughts, our intentions, and our motives. And that behind so many Actions and behind sinful action is sinful thought that begins the process of the action. And so when we think about doing what is right, living a life that pleases God, if the bad actions begin in our heads, so too do the good actions. And so a godly life, a life of godly action, begins with godly thoughts. And if our thinking isn't godly, our actions aren't going to be godly. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing in the verses in Philippians we're looking at this morning. What does it mean to think godly thoughts? How do we train our mind to think about things that God wants, which will lead to the actions that God wants? So we're going to see this morning, we're going to ask, we're going to ask one big question. What am I thinking? 
And we're going to see this morning in our big idea that when we persevere in godly actions that begin with godly thoughts, we experience God's peace. So let's first look at verse 8 there. And again, if you're following along in your bulletin in our outline, it's a very, very long point of think. So let's look at what we're supposed to think about in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, whenever you come to a list in the Bible, you need to think of it in two ways. One, you need to think of it as a list, as a whole, and then you can also think about it in its different parts. And so I'm going to look at verse 8 this morning that way, of looking at what do we learn from the, from the list as a whole, and then we'll look at some of the parts, of the specific parts of that list. The first thing I want us to see is Paul is not telling us what not to think about, but rather he's telling us what to think about. You think about with when you are interacting with children. Not only do you tell them not to run into the street, but you also tell them to play in the yard. Okay, there's both a positive command and a negative command. But here, Paul gives it as a positive command. He's saying don't. He's not telling us what to not think. He's telling us what to think. And yes, I'm going to make sure I get that right each time because I know I'm going to mess up at least once in this sermon. (laughs) Here's how I think about it. I had a third grade teacher. His name was Mr. Steffens. And to help him have some semblance of control over a class of 28 third graders, 20 of whom were boys and only eight were girls, He was a smart guy, and one of the things he did was he looked at us and said, do not think about penguins. He's like, stop thinking about penguins right now. All of you need to stop thinking about penguins. And he'd ask me, what are you thinking about right now? And they're like, penguins. And all of us third graders, oh, we could not figure it out why we were thinking about penguins. And what that demonstrates, not just that my third grade teacher had to be very creative with me and my friends, but when we're talking about our thoughts, if we were to only focus on what we're not to think about, that's what we're going to think about. And so Paul gives us what to think about. What should I positively be thinking about? What should I be filling my head with? You see this whenever you try any behavior modification that you not only need to get rid of the bad behavior, but you need to put in its place good behavior. So for the example, for dieting, you not only stop eating the bad food, but then you also need to then eat the good food. We see this all the time in our lives. And so Paul is giving us the good food. 
Eat this in your mind. Think about what is godly. Secondly, as we look at this list as a whole, one of the things that strikes me about this list is that God exemplifies all of these qualities in the greatest way. Who is the most true? God. Who is the most honorable? God. Who is the most just? God. You get the picture. That that when we understand what these are, we would recognize that God is the one who lives them out perfectly. And so when we think of these things, in some ways, we need to think about God. When we think, what should I be thinking about? Our thoughts need to be drawn to who God is and his character. So for example, when I am trying to be a good father who appropriately disciplines his kids and who is not slow to anger but abounding in steadfast love, I turn to one of my favorite descriptions of God in Exodus 34 where it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so in this list, God is helping us to focus our thoughts on God himself. Because when we understand this list, we understand that God is the greatest picture of all of these. And it again directs our minds to what is important and what is best. Which leads in to the third thing we need to see again as this list as a whole. And that is, don't waste your thoughts on what is not best. There are a lot of things to think about. And some of them don't matter as much. And so we don't want to waste our time on what doesn't matter. And again, as we think about who God is and what he has done and his character, and we think about thinking godly thoughts the less important stuff sort of melts away. We only have so much brain power. Let's not waste it on things that don't matter. I mean, maybe you, some of you have more than me, but I only have so much, so I need to conserve my energy. <laughs> and so I need to focus on what's important. And that's what this list is helping us do. Focusing our thoughts on what is best and what is most important. Let me work through the individual parts now. I'm not going to spend as much time on all of them. I'm sort of going to pick and choose because that would be a really long sermon. So let's pick on true there. Whatever is true. Think about true things. And here's what I want to say about this. 
How many lies do you believe? How many lies about yourself, especially, and here, here is one of the biggest lies I see as I am walking around in our culture. Who am I and where is my worth found? So many people believe lies about their identity and so many people believe lies about what gives them worth as a person. And we need to recognize truth from a lie. We need to recognize that my worth is not found in my job and how much money I make. My worth is not found in popularity. My worth is not found in wearing the right clothes or driving the right car. But these are lies we believe. And instead of believing those lies, we need to focus on the truth. On the truth that my identity is found in Christ. That my identity and worth is found that I am created in the image of God and was loved by him so much that he sent his son to die for me and now I am forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. That is my identity and worth. None of those lies. But every day we have lies in our head. And the best way to kick those lies out of our heads is to think about the truth. What does God say my worth is? Where does God say my identity is found? Secondly, we're told to think on what is honorable. This word is not used a lot in your Bible. It is mostly used outside of the New Testament for things like the temple and the law and the Sabbath. It can also be used of people who are worthy of respect and dignity and reverence. And so when we say think about honorable things, here's, what, here's my understanding of what he's talking about. This idea of thinking about the thoughts that deserve respect. Thoughts that have real weight to them. Again, this idea of focusing on what really matters. We think about a lot of things that in the long run don't, they don't mean anything. I mean, think about how many sports statistics you know. <laughs> After the season, most of those are pretty worthless. <laughs> Too early? Is that what somebody said? <laughs> But are we thinking about, are we filling our heads with things of lesser importance? Or are we filling our heads with things of more importance? Think about what is honorable, what is worth the time spent thinking. Think about what is pure. Think about what is holy, good, and innocent. Now, usually in our context, 
when we're talking about purity, we connect it to sexuality. And we recognize that purity is bigger than sexuality. But at the same time, we cannot back away from that application in our lives. That we are bombarded with an inappropriate view of sex from our culture. It's everywhere. We are, we live in a hypersexualized culture. And there's no getting away from that. So how do we think pure thoughts in the midst of a very impure world? How do I think correctly about sexuality when our culture is drenched in an improper view of sex? To bolster the point of Paul here, it's not just not thinking about those things. Again, when I think pure thoughts, I'm not wasting my time on thinking the impure thoughts. I've replaced those thoughts. So, you have a verse like Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? One of the weapons we've been given in this fight of pure thoughts is to fill our heads with God's word. Again, not just avoiding the bad foods, but eating the good foods. And when I spend my time thinking about God's word, I have less time for the impure thoughts. The other weapon that we have been given is to run away. There's a wonderful picture in Genesis 39 of Joseph literally running away from sexual temptation. And that's the other part of that battle. You know where it is. You know what you have to click on. Run away. Turn the movie off. Cancel the cable subscription if you need to. I mean, it's something that we need to take seriously. And sometimes it's appropriate to to not put yourself in the position, but to run away, just as Joseph did. Next, we're supposed to think of lovely thoughts. On this note, one author has written that these thoughts give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none like a welcome fragrance. Do your thoughts have a pleasant smell? If someone could hear your thoughts, would they say that they are pleasant, like the aroma of a flower, or not? We need sweet-smelling, lovely thoughts. 
Next, commendable. Again, one, one author has written about this word's use. He says, What is kind and likely to win people in persuasion and avoiding what is likely to give offense. And for this one, what I picture is, would my thoughts be good to say out loud? (laughs) If I am thinking godly thoughts, one test is would I say that out loud in polite company? And would it be seen as kind and likely to win people or would it just give unnecessary offense? Again, when we, when we think about it that way, I mean, it raises the bar, doesn't it? Because one of the nice things about our thoughts is that nobody hears them necessarily. But here's the, here's the pitch. God hears all of them. <laughs> and again, it helps us to remember one test of, of how I'm thinking is what would happen if I said this out loud? What would God say if I said it to him? It's further, it's, it's that next phase from if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. But it's even more. If you can't say anything nice, don't think about it in the first place. And then the last two as a part of this verse are, are seen as summaries of the verse as a whole. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, driving home, it's always good to think about the right things. And we need to be thinking about the good things. Things that are worthy of praise. Things that are excellent. And again, when, when we're honest with ourselves, do we think of praiseworthy things? Or are our thoughts filled with worry and anger and bitterness? And things that are not God-glorifying because God hears your thoughts. And so if we are going to be believers, if we're going to persevere in our faith, we need to think like believers. And again, the importance also comes in that what we think affects and changes what we do. Right? So if I'm thinking godly thoughts, godly thoughts always lead to godly action. And so verse 9. So in verse 8 we see think, in verse 9 we see do. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, put practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
So again, the Christian life is more than just ideas and thoughts and thinking and meditation. It involves action. It involves living out our faith in word and in deed. And look at how Paul describes what they are supposed to practice. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here's what Paul is saying. You have been taught what to do. You've been told what to do. Someone has spoken to you and communicated what is right and what is wrong, and you saw me do it. Look at the full picture of what it means to teach someone here. That there is a verbal aspect, that truth must be conveyed from one person to the next, that truth must be spoken, but truth must also be seen. This must affect how we live as a part of the body of Christ. That, that for those of us who have been in church for a long time, the, the issue isn't really knowing what to do. The issue is doing it, right? The hard part is not knowing what to do. The hard part is actually doing it. But then the second step is, how are we bringing up those younger than us? How are we training our children? How are we training our grandchildren? How are we training all the little kids who just run rampant around this church? We teach them. We read the Bible to them. We share the story of Jesus with them, with our mouths. And then we show it to them with our lives. Here's the problem I see. Usually, you're better at one than the other. You know, what do they say? Those who cannot do, teach, right? (laughs) That was like my life for most of my life. (laughs) I can't do a lot of things, (laughs) but I can talk. But there are also those of us who, we don't really like talking. In fact, if, if there was a few words that we could ever say, we would find that number, and once we hit that quota, we would have said, out of order. All you engineers out there, I'm looking at you. <laughs> but we must do both if we intend to truly pass on the faith to those younger than us. And so you need someone that you can both listen to and learn from, but you also need them to show you how it's done. And then you need to find someone that you can speak the truth to and demonstrate that life. You must do both. If you're not doing both, you're a hypocrite or a liar. So Paul says, get your mind right, 
think godly thoughts and live out what you've been taught. Because it affects everything we do and the actions must originate in our thoughts. And so when we have godly thoughts, they lead necessarily to godly action. Don't just think godly thoughts and expect action to happen. Work out your thoughts. And don't think that you can just live a life without having godly thoughts. It's just not going to work. I want to give an example of this. At another church that I was a part of, I was teaching the youth Sunday school class. And the kids were all told, as most church kids were told, you go to Sunday school. That's what you do. So they would come in to the youth room and we would have Sunday school. Now there was a group of older believers, older members, who during the Sunday school hour would have fellowship time around the donut table. And in one sense, it's fine that they were interacting with other believers, but in one sense, it wasn't fine. Because the kids noticed what the adults were actually doing, not just what they were saying. And so the kids saw, well, they tell me to go to Sunday school, but they don't even go themselves, so why should I be here? And it wasn't even their parents or grandparents out there. It was just members of the congregation. And again, on one level, it was fine. But on another level, the people around the donut table didn't realize what they were teaching the kids. We need to make sure that we teach both with our mouths and with how we live. So that when we interact, especially with kids, I mean, this this goes for anyone young in their faith, but especially kids, that they can say what I heard and was taught at church and then what I saw at church showed me how to live like Jesus and taught me truth about Jesus. And I not only just heard it, but I saw the truth lived out. Because if we don't do it, we can't expect our kids to do it. They're not. We can't say, do as I say and not as I do. It doesn't work. <laughs> so why do, we, why do we live like it does? <laughs> Begins in the mind. It's lived out in the actions. And then it ends with a promise. That when we think godly thoughts, when we live out godly actions, we have the promise of the peace of God. Look at the end of verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When we think holy thoughts, 
when we do holy actions, God promises us his peace. Why? Why do godly thoughts and godly actions lead to peace? I think first of all, is there's nothing hindering our, our relationship with God. That we can fully experience the relationship God has for us when we are doing what he has called us to do. And secondly, we can have peace when we think holy thoughts and do holy actions because we know that God is pleased even if everyone around us is not. Doing what is right is not always popular. And I can have peace when I'm doing the right thing because I know that God is pleased and in one sense it doesn't matter what other people think. Because my peace is found in God's view of me, not in what others think of me. So you can do what's unpopular if it's right, and you can have peace about that, even in the midst of adversity, because you know that God is pleased with what you've done. And when we follow him, we can have peace knowing he will protect us and provide for us and ultimately vindicate us when he returns. So Paul is setting forth a pattern. Think godly thoughts. Do godly actions. And experience the peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what are we thinking? Are we thinking about what is best, about what is godly, about what is holy? Or are we wasting our thoughts on what doesn't matter and what leads us away from Christ? If we want peace, and if we want to live in a way that pleases God, it must begin by thinking godly thoughts. Let's pray. Father God, empower us by your Spirit to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. That our minds would be filled with what is excellent and what is worthy of praise. God, that our minds would be centered on who you are and who we are in relationship to you. And God, that when we think your thoughts, when we think about you, that that would drive us to holy action. That we would really live as recipients of your grace, as those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith. That we would live in response to 
to that great love and grace. And God, as we live out the Christian way that we would experience your great peace, no matter what others say about how we should live, but being driven by your approval of how we live. And in that, find peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.